Today's reading is out of John chapter 4, verses 13 through 30, and it's on page 752 in the Pew Bible. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm real glad to see everybody here, and I really do mean that. I'm especially thrilled to see Jackie Long here. What a week. And I think about disclosure and being forced into a point of weakness and prayer and everything. And uh, it's, all this started last Sunday, didn't it? And Kyle... Two weeks ago? Is it two weeks now? Well, it's, been a, it's been a booger of two weeks, hasn't it? Uh, doing great, and it just makes my month just to see you here. She's doing great now, by the way, but uh, has been living a courageous, courageous uh, journey the last couple of weeks. Uh, so hug her when you see her. Um, let's look at the logo again for just a second, Stephen. Are you soloing it back there? Well, good luck. Uh, again, we spent January going through our theme for this year, which again is, it's all his. And we broke that down week by week uh, in the form of a star. It just happened to be an acrostic. It's all his story. It's all his time. It's all his assets. You remember the last one? It's all his. starts with an R. Resources. Okay, and we, we kind of broke those down, and I decided that we would give two more weeks, devote two more weeks to it's all his story, because I thought about Jesus in his exchange there with the woman at the well and thinking about, you know, that's a good example of not just sharing the gospel uh, in words, but doing so with a sense of fullness, of wholeness, with a heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so last week we talked about exposure. And by that we, we meant, uh, you know, being willing to have yourself exposed to difficult people, to difficult situations, as we are a missional people here. Being willing to go and be with people uh, who are hard to be around, who might even be antagonistic toward the gospel, going to places that are unfamiliar, just doing all these things and sacrificing in that manner. And we talked about that last week, but this week I want to talk about disclosure. Now, there's a guy named Danny Foley 
who is a sophomore now at a University of Virginia. I don't know if you all remember this story or not. He really loved the Virginia Cavaliers, University of Virginia basketball team. Just always dreamed of being a part of it, even though he wasn't really a good basketball player. But he thought, maybe I could be a part of them. And he noticed whenever he would go to games that the assistant coaches all dressed the same. Dark dark blazer, slacks, same kind of shoes, and always the important orange Virginia tie. And so he thought, I'm going to go to Walmart and get some cheap uh, knockoffs and, and see what I can do. So he went and got some shoes, some dress socks, some pants, white shirt, uh, new blazer, and the all-important uh, orange tie. Uh, he goes to the conference championship last March uh, when they were playing Duke in the finals, and Virginia was not favored, by the way. Uh, and, and so there he is. He, he bought a nosebleed ticket of $30 just to get through the door. Then during a TV timeout, he just confidently strode past the usher. He didn't do anything. Went back behind the cheerleaders. Wound up on the court with the Virginia Cavaliers. They've got a picture of it here. There he is, you know, at the timeout. How we doing, boys? You know. But it got even better. You know, when the buzzer sounded at the end of the game, Virginia had upset Duke. He was so excited, he decided, I'm going to go through the handshake line with the team. And look who he got to shake hands with. Shaking hands with Coach K, you know, from Duke. And uh, it actually got even better. Somebody excited, thinking that he was with the University of Virginia staff, got him a a championship T-shirt, so he puts that on over his suit. And he goes back and joins the big team joyful huddle. You know, yay, we did it. Uh... And then finally, he had one friend out there snap a shot with him close to the bat. I don't know if you can see him there right in the middle, like, yay, I did it with confetti and everything. So that's Danny Foley. Uh, by the way, uh, somebody finally on the Virginia staff said, who are you anyway? And he jumped a rail and ran into the stands, and they lost him. So he, he got away with it. Now, Danny faked his way onto the team, begs the question, do you and I ever fake our way through church? You know, image conscious. You and I can be, you know, do we ever just come here, but we're really, really, in a sense, faking it. In a, in a way, do we dress ourselves in the right words, in the right appearance, with the right theology, with the right image, so we can comfortably fit in? Or are we willing to be truthful about who we are, warts and all, brokenness and all? Or are we just kind of the same person, just putting on a different tie each day and playing the game? Because really, disclosure can be a powerful way, not just of experiencing the gospel, but of sharing it. You know, to be really honest and transparent with God and each other. Disclosure can really lead to real redemption and real relationship. Now, I want to fast forward from John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. We'll go back there. But I want to go to what John wrote later on in 1 John uh, 1, verses 5 through 7. Let me, let's just read through this together. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. It's interesting, by the way, he talks about this with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John chapter 3, but I think he encapsulates it better right here. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim, now listen to this, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, refusing to disclose, refusing really to be transparent, we lie and do not, we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, warts and all, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one Two things. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 
It offers us real relationship. We have fellowship with one another and real redemption. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. I want to start with the second one first. Disclosure can lead us to real redemption. The blood of Jesus purifies us from sin. Jesus has this kind of awkward exchange with the woman at the well. And it's not really going well, at least so far, because Jesus is talking about living water. And he's using that figuratively, uh, spiritually. The woman is thinking in concrete terms. She's thinking he's talking about running water that's going to be fresher than this cistern-type water where they are right there at the well. And she's not quite getting that. So Jesus kind of initiates something else. And, And he challenges her to disclose herself because he says to her, go call your husband and come back. Now, he knows all about her, and he knows the truth. The truth is what? She has had five husbands and is now living with a man with whom she is not married. Now, let's think about that. She could have lied. She didn't know that Jesus was Jesus. She could have just said, oh, well, uh, he's uh, busy at work or something. She could have hidden. She could have hidden her story. Uh, But the irony is, isn't it, that when you and I try to hide from God, is that really going to work? That goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Do you remember after they ate of the fruit? It said, and God went looking for them in the garden, and he found them as if he hadn't already. He found them and said, what, what's going on, basically? And, and Adam said, what? I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, so I went and did what? Hid myself. That's what you and I do, don't we, sometimes? We just want to hide from him. We don't want to face up to things that we're deeply, deeply ashamed of, that we don't want to think about things we might be fearful of, things we are doubtful about. Thing is, he already knows. I mean, he knows everything about this woman just like he knows everything about you and me. He knew her story. She was shunned in her village, which is why she was there in the heat of the day instead of in the morning or in the evening. She was by herself. Shunned by her village. She was ashamed about who she was, living in sin. But even so, the beautiful thing. Jesus initiated relationship with her. said, can you give me some water? I wonder how often you and I realize... As much as we feel humbled and too ashamed and embarrassed to confess to God, he's always there ready to offer us water and to say, let's have connectedness, let's have relationship here. So he opens the door for that and he says, you know, go and find your husband. And she, appropriately so, and to her credit, says, I have no husband right now. And Jesus said, yeah, in fact, I know the story, you've had five husbands, and now you're living with someone who isn't your husband. And to her credit, again, she discloses. She confesses, yes, you're right. He gave her the chance to disclose of her sinful condition, and she disclosed. And, and she offered herself warts and all, and because of that, he offered her living water. Now, let's, let's think about this, because when she confessed, please understand, it's not like Jesus is sitting there looking at you saying, now, if only you confess, I'm going to give this to you, but I'm going to hang on to it. He's always initiating the grace. It's just a matter of you making yourself open to it. What is the New Testament Koine Greek word for confession? Homo legeo. You know what that means literally? To say the same thing or to agree with someone. In other words, to confess to God is simply to agree with God about that which he already knows. You with me? It's just you being willing to agree with him that, yes, I'm a sinner in need of grace. All you got to do is agree with him. And that is up to you to receive that grace, but he is showering that grace, shining that grace upon you all the time, always making the first move, always initiating that grace, just like Jesus did with this woman at the well. All you got to do is agree with him. Now, it's not always easy to do. It's a very vulnerable feeling. I loved, by the way, the, the praying together like we did. That's the highlight of every deacon's meeting. We don't go in there and talk about matters of business and, and congratulate ourselves because of how important we are. Most of the time is spent in prayer, and to me it's just music to my ears, 
just to hear people praying around the room, and it was kind of cool. This reminded me of a deacon's meeting, which was great. Um, But again, it's not always easy to do to be that vulnerable to someone, and especially to God. And yet what's really cool, you got John 1, 5 through 7 up here. Two verses later, it's such a great verse that kind of sums up, hey, if you're willing to agree with God about that which he already knows about you, what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There are two great adjectives in there. Uh, One is just. I mean, we all know God is just. I mean, he's the holy God of the universe who can judge things in ways you and I don't have the capacity to do. But I love that other one. In the first service this morning, we sang, Great is thy faithfulness. And I thought, yep. I mean, he's faithful to us. He's always aiming that grace our way. Not just aiming it, sending it our way all the time. All we got to do is agree with him that we are in need of that grace. And it empowers us to be better witnesses, too. What did this woman do? This is a woman shunned by her society, very embarrassed, very ashamed. But what does she do? She goes straight into the village and starts to tell people about what the Messiah has offered her in terms of living water. That had to make an impact. In fact, it did. If you look down at verse 39, it says, Many believed because of the woman's testimony. She said, He told me everything I ever did. You know, Jesus can tell you about everything you ever did, ever thought, ever had an attitude about. I mean, he can do that. They knew her wayward life, and because of that, they decided, you know what? If he can offer that to her, maybe he can offer that to me. And therefore, many believed. Many believed. You know, if we were willing to be more open with our brokenness, with our woundedness, with our vulnerability, you know, we'd be able to reach people. Didn't Paul talk about that in, in First and Second Corinthians? When I am weak, then I am strong because I'm willing to acknowledge my weaknesses and my desperate need for Christ. It can lead to real redemption. Disclosure can lead to real redemption. But secondly, it can lead to real relationship. Let's put First John 1, 5 through 7 back up there. Let me read through it one more time. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what does it say? We have fellowship with one another. How tragic it is, because like, you know, sin has this distancing effect, not just with God, but with other people sometimes. And when we hold something within ourselves often that we need to confess with one another, the way James says in James chapter 1, If we don't do that, it can have a distancing effect. Have you ever carried some burden around inside of you? Maybe not really shared it with anybody. And it really, there's a sense of aloneness about it that can be so, so painful. Again, confession in the New Testament literally means what? Homo legeo, to agree with God about that which he already knows. You know what's great is if we were willing more to confess our sins and our struggles appropriately with each other, you know what we're doing? We're agreeing with each other that, yep, we're broken, wounded, Sinful people in need of God's grace. I love my students at Samford. There's some in here that annoy me, but, but I love most of them. No, I love them all. But quite often I'll be talking with a Samford student because a lot of times students over there struggle with, I'll call it perfectionism for lack of a better word, and it's kind of, it can even be a spiritual perfectionism. And, oh, I'm not quite as spiritual as this person or that person. There's a lot of comparison that goes on. And so maybe if I put on this thin veneer of spirituality, I'll be okay. And I often say to students, you know, sometimes around here, and I love this place, but I could apply it here too. I love this place, but we need to do a better job of welcoming each other to the human race. (laughs) We need to do that better. We just need to be willing to say, welcome to the human race. I'm a sinner in need of grace every bit as much as you are. 
Um, it's always been funny to me that I went to seminary <laughs> in order to get a master of divinity. Isn't that good grief? Master, now I have mastered divinity. Um, I always think about that and I think, no, I need to master master of humanity. That's really what it ought to be called because that's really where we need to go. And being more willing to be transparent with our struggles and our sin, it not only strengthens us, a lot of people these days, days would say it makes us better leaders. Um, Henry Nowen wrote a wonderful book called In the Name of Jesus. I've, we're using it right now or just finished using it in my formation for ministry class. How many of y'all have, you, have read that book? And I've, Anna, I think I had you, yes, I had some of y'all in class. Uh, who, who, Farrah, did you read it? Okay, I'm going to ask you questions about it like I always do. No, I'm not going to do that to you. Um, wonderful book, but one of the big things Henry said, and this was, gosh, 15, 20 years ago now, he said the leaders of the church tomorrow, which is today, are called to be more vulnerable. They don't need to put on airs. They don't need to act superhuman. They need to be willing to be vulnerable about who they are as they lead people to show other people that they are uh, broken sinners and that they might be able to touch the wounds of others because of their own woundedness. Keith, are you still here? Will you get me one of these chairs back here? Can you bring that chair and just bring it right here so I can have a seat? Does this bring back memories for anybody? (laughs) By the way, William Adams, Dr. Adams was in the first. He's usually in this one, and I had Keith do this. He started freaking out out there like, oh, I thought he was going to come up and do CPR. Okay. How many of y'all remember what happened last time I sat down? Okay. I'm fine, by the way. No, I'm fine. Um, uh, For those of you who don't know, I think it was in early September... I think it was early September. Um, it, it was so weird. First service went fine. I remember preaching on Joseph and how dysfunctional his family was, and I had to memorize all this, uh, his family tree and everything, and talk about it. And the first service went fine. Sunday school hour, I was fine. I think we talked to some prospective members and everything. And we got into this second service, and I remember we did a commissioning prayer for s- some folks. I can't remember who it was. And, uh, and after that, we started singing, and I started getting just shaky. Never have done that before. And to the point, I was thinking, oh, I'll be okay. Now, I found out later from my doctor, the worst thing you can do at that point is to have a diuretic. What did I do? When I introduced uh, Diane Wad to come up and share grace along the journey, I went down to the Cape, (laughs) where the youth are, and got a Diet Coke and downed it in like 30 seconds. That was the dumbest thing I could have done, by the way. It's a diuretic, got caffeine. It's exactly what I didn't uh, need to do. So that was brilliant of me to do. Uh... Came back up, and I thought, well, I'll be okay. Surely when I step up here, as I've stepped up here hundreds of times, I'll be fine. But I think I barely got through the introduction, and I was just shaky again. And, and I think it was Ethan, I, you know, future son-in-law. Hey, come on up here and bring me a chair and brought me a chair. And uh, I did the rest of the sermon sitting down. That was very pride-based, by the way. I was just like, I did all this homework. I'm going to deliver this, you know. So I did that and then walked out, and all the physicians in this service were back there ready to greet me, and they started yanking off my tie, loosening my shirt. I'm like, can I get undressed somewhere else, please? And so we went to uh, the office there, and uh, uh, long story short, got taken to the ER. BP was up a bit, um, but all that to say, and most of you know this, I went through a battery of tests for the next two weeks, I guess, maybe three weeks, had a heart monitor on and all that stuff. And everything's fine. I mean, every MRI, I've never had, y'all ever had an MRI? It's like being at a really bad rock concert. It's, it's loud and it's just, it's no fun. Uh, but uh, uh, had that, had the, all the other tests, and I'm fine. I'm, I'm truly fine. 
Um, and and uh, a couple of my physicians attributed it just probably to dehydration. Uh, so, which is, I've got water. I've always got my water bottle now. Uh, but um, this is where I'm going with all this. Um, even though I was told a, a couple weeks later, you're fine, everything checks out great, I'm going to disclose something to you now. I disclosed it in the first service, but before the first service, I had not disclosed it to anyone except my wife, Deanna, um, and eventually to, to three other people, including a counselor. I had to go to a counselor for a few times to get this thing unpacked. And, uh, uh, but... I, there was one Sunday, I stood up here, I mean right here, and all of a sudden, uh, I just had this incredible adrenaline rush, and bottom line, kind of had a panic attack, is what I had. Now, I didn't show it, and I've learned that because I've done this so much, I can hide it, I, I can hide it pretty easily. Uh, but inside, I'm just kind of raging, and I'm like, God, this is, and, and I want you to think about it this way, and I'm not sitting down this time because I'm, now I'm having a panic attack, I'm just sitting back down again. Um, but I want you to imagine if you're a surgeon and suddenly you can't use your hands. Um, imagine you're a, a singer and suddenly you use, lose your voice. Imagine you're an accountant and suddenly for whatever reason you have a brainstorm that causes you not to be able to add and subtract. Um, this is what I do. I mean, I, I speak publicly as a teacher and as a preacher. And uh, it really threw me and it was an incredible uh, revelation and struggle and and uh it, it was tough to go through and i went and unpacked it with a woman named dr Paul, who's just incredible and uh, she was very helpful and she said you know what <laughs> think about it you were in a perfect storm you had a very active summer you were in south africa you came back you weren't stopping you were overdoing it anyway uh she said uh, you know you just started using a cpap to try to sleep better you weren't sleeping very well for weeks so you didn't get a lot of sleep uh and she said, oh, yeah, and don't you have a daughter getting married in January? I said, yeah, and if you knew the guy, you'd be really stressed out. So, uh, no, for those of you who don't know, it's the guy who led the music. That's Ethan. That's, that's my son. It's so cool to call him a son-in-law now. It's cool. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, and thank goodness by the time, Hannah, I want to assure you, by the time the wedding, I was great. Everything was fine. I was over it. But, well, it, actually, five minutes before walking her down was, was pure hell. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like, man, this is the big moment, you know. She was so sweet. I mean, 12 times, are you okay? Trying to look to go, oh, I'm fine, but, 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 you know. But um, share all that to say, it was such a vulnerable feeling. And y'all, I, I told Deanna at one point, I stand up here so often and preach about transparency and disclosure and being willing to show weaknesses and all. And have I really done that well? Because if I'm going to really be a fellow traveler on this incredible faith journey and help lead people, shepherd people, am I doing, doing it right if I'm not willing to share uh, of, of my own struggles? And I struggled with that. By the way, there were two other people. There was one day where the, I was just so frustrated with myself because of that which was occurring. And by, I'm fine, by the way, now. I was remind you. But I thought, I need to talk to somebody. And uh, I was just having a particularly bad Monday, and I called this person. I don't want to embarrass him, but uh, he's wearing a vest this morning for some weird reason, and he plays accordion. But other than that, I don't want to specify who it was. Uh, no, I called Keith, and did I see Lisa in here? And I just said, hey, what are you all doing right now? Oh, we're getting ready to go eat at Tecate. So I said, can I Tecate with you? And... Uh, we went there, and I said, I've, I'm gonna, I need to share something with you that at that point I'd only shared with Deanna, I think, uh, who was, has been my rock. She always, she, 
do you know Deanna? She's amazing. Hot too. Uh, and, but in all seriousness, I mean, we, uh, you know, I sat there and I said, I have not disclosed this to anybody else and it's very hard for me to do, but I need to tell somebody about it. And uh, I said, I've been dealing with, with uh, I, for lack of a better term, anxiety attacks. And it's so weird. And it's usually when I get up here, which makes sense. I mean, this is where it happened, right? Uh, and, and so, you know, I've been battling that, and, and I just needed to share that. Well, let me just say, they had already been brothers and sisters to me, but they became family all the more for me. And it strengthened me so much to be able to just unload that. Have you ever had something you've been carrying around and how incredible a liberation it is just to finally unload it? And that's what they were for me. They were Jesus for me uh, that day. And that really sparked the move toward doing better. Dr. Palk, who I saw a few times, she said, you know what would be great if you shared it with your congregation? I was like, bad, 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 I, no. She said, I think that would be cathartic for you. And I thought, well, that, you know, it could be cathartic, but even better. And Deanna and I, as late as yesterday, we were eating Mexican food again at some other place. And, and uh, I was saying, I don't know if I need to share that. And finally, she said, wisely as she always does, you know, she said, well, it's not to be cathartic for you, I wonder if there's somebody else who will hear that and it will help them. Uh, whether they have struggled with panic attacks, whether they've struggled with something else, you know, and they see that maybe you're willing to share that vulnerability and that weakness, which you all heretofore only shared with, what, two or three people. Uh, and so I thought, yeah, there could be something there. And, and the thing is, to be honest, it, it is so, it does nothing but liberate you, set you free when you eventually are able to just unload that. And so, you know, I hope maybe if you're struggling with something, you can remember you're not alone. Hey, welcome to the human race. And thank God that we have this God who once we step into the light, as John says, not only are we purified of our sin and, and our hurt and our pain, but, but we're really set free to fellowship all the more authentically with one another. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it in his wonderful book, Life Together. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. It can be very alone if you haven't done that yet. He experiences the presence of God and the reality of the other person. As long as I am myself in the confession of my sin, everything remains in the dark, and it can be isolating. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought out into the light where it needs to be brought out. Whether it's a sin or a fear or a doubt or a frustration or a stress or whatever it might be, Chances are it could be good to bear that to another person. If it's appropriate to do that, it can be liberating. But it's sometimes tough to do. It's tough to do that because you're embarrassed about it. You're ashamed of it. We're image conscious. We have a lot of pride. Uh, Let me tell you about one other person. John Sharp, who is a friend of ours, Deanna and me, uh, was in college with Deanna at Carson Newman College. He started dating Whitney toward the beginning of his freshman year. And uh, they were just really close. They were best friends. And again, they dated for four years, and I think it was probably an extra year after that before they got married. So they knew each other very well, or so she thought. There was one thing that John never disclosed to Whitney until their wedding rehearsal. When they were actually up there and the, the, the wedding party standing up there, they get to the point of the ring part, right? John has, to this day, half of a ring finger, okay? He had it, somebody slammed a door on the finger and it had to be amputated uh, just below the knuckle and he had just, you know, had a little, you know, half a finger. And he was teased 
mercilessly by kids at school, by his brothers, to where he was so self-conscious about it, he never wanted anybody to see it. And so he would do things like with Whitney, he didn't want her to see it. He was too embarrassed about it, so he would always make sure that when they were holding hands, he was on her left-hand side, so he would hold her hand with his right hand. Whenever John drove, he would drive with you know, right hand up here, hand down in the lap. Walked around a lot with his left hand in his pocket. <laughs> Ceremony rehearsal. Okay, uh, Whitney, if, let's get to the ring here. Okay, Whitney, let's practice this. If you'll take the ring and place it on John's finger. <laughs> they said she went. Just mouth agape, John. And, and, you know, he said, yep, that's me. And she had never known it. And so he finally was able to disclose it to her. I guess had to. And uh, it made them all the more closer that night. They fell in love with each other all over again because he was willing to show that part of his weakness. And it was an incredible wedding, incredible celebration, and it added all the more to the meaning. Uh, I think of you and me, though. I think of, gosh, that had to be the one thing for him that was so hard to disclose, and he kept it secret for so long. You know, I wonder what is the one thing in your own life. It's that one thing that you think, boy, if anybody ever knew that about me, whether in my past or in my present, you know, if they knew that about me, I just don't know. I don't know what they would think. Probably love you all the more, but what would they think? But again, disclosure can lead to real, authentic, raw church, as it should be. And think of the one who (laughs) could not have disclosed himself anymore, dying naked on a cross cross-eyed with pain, gasping for air, blood dripping down. I mean, how much more disclosive could Jesus have been for you and me by emptying himself in that way, with that kind of harsh, horrid display? But why did he do it? He's disclosing to you and me. He disclosed himself for you and me. Now, I want us to refer to our bulletins. There's a litany of disclosure there, and I've asked Keith to come up and lead us in it. And then we're going to enter into just a brief meditation of disclosure. So if you will uh, read the bolder print, and Keith will lead us in this before we enter into a time of meditation. Not only is it a litany, but it's also a prayer. So as we enter into it, enter into it prayerfully. Oh Lord, here now are disclosures of the heart. For lack of reverence, for truth and beauty. For cowardice that dares not face truth, laziness content with half truth, or arrogance that presumes to know it all. For artificial life and worship, for all that is hollow and insincere. For trite ideals and cheap pleasures, for making hard vulgarity for humor, mistaking hard vulgarity for humor. For being dull, pompous, or rude, for putting down our neighbors, for self righteous judging of others. 
for token concern for the poor, for apathetic materialism, for confusing faith with good feeling or love with wanting to be loved. For everything in us that may hide your light, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, and this is an opportunity for you just to have a moment of meditation with God and to disclose to Him, what would be that one thing in your life that would be most difficult to to disclose to somebody else? What is something that you would say, boy, I don't know if I could ever actually share that. Well, this is an opportunity for you to simply share it with God. Disclose that to him. Agree with him about that which he already knows about you. Knows about all of us as brothers and sisters in brokenness. Will you take just a minute to disclose, confess whatever it is you need to confess. It might be a private sin. It might be some fear you've been battling. It might be some stress, some anxiety you've been, you've been struggling with. It might be a financial situation that you're not sure how that's going to pan out. It might be frustrations with some relationship you might have. It might be a family situation. Whatever it is that's causing you a great deal of burden, a great deal of pain and woundedness, Or it might be some kind of cycle of sin that you just need to break out of. Can you just, in the silence of this moment now, lift that up to him and agree with him that you desperately need his grace. It could be that you have something that you're struggling with that you need to go talk to somebody about. I had that, and I needed to go talk to somebody. Maybe you're struggling with something right now, and you're needing just to unload that to someone, and you just need the the, the appropriate person, whether it is a minister, counselor, dear friend, family member, whatever it might be. Let's pray especially for those of us among us, and it could be any and all of us just to perhaps be convicted all the more to be open about what it is we're struggling with and, and to, to let that be in the light that, they, that, that you might receive that grace or that that person might receive that grace. Can you pray as you discern whether or not you need to do that or can you pray for everyone else in here right now? If it's not your time right now, it will be later. But pray for that person who needs to go to someone for help. Will you do that? Jesus, remind us that there is strength in weakness. When we are weak, then your gospel can be made so incredibly strong. 
teach us to be the broken sinners who are on mission to bring other broken sinners into your fold that they might be brought into you, the warmth of your light and love and grace. Help us to do all we can to be beacons of light and hope for all those who need you so desperately. We pray these things in your name. Amen.